As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good ways, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Steve. Keep me on your toes. Keep me on your toes. <clears throat> All right. Everybody good? Everybody comfortable? Need anything? I'm in a mood this morning, so. All right. <laughs> um, cool. Um, well, this is it. We're wrapping up uh, 1 Timothy this morning. Um, I, I won't ask you to shout anything out because that's just. Uh, pandemonium in the size of a room, but I do want to take you, uh, ask you to uh, just consider what's one or two things that you've, you've maybe taken away from this series. Um, it's, it's not realistic to, to remember it all. Um, I taught it, most of it, and, and I can't remember it all. <laughs> um, so what's one or two things that, that you, you have retained that you are, are going to take away with and kind of chew on and try to apply. Elders, it's a good one. Um, Let me just encourage you uh, to not leave this letter behind, okay? Um, what, What if you read through it a couple more times this week? Short, you can do it in one sitting, it's like a few pages long. Um, what if you were to commit to uh, sit down, read through it a few more times, take some notes, pray, uh, let, it, let it settle in even more. And it's always funny when we like wrap up a series because like, when are we going to preach through 1 Timothy again? I don't know. Could, could be a little while. So, um, but hopefully Sunday mornings aren't the only time that you are reading through your Bible. Um, consume this. Be, be in it a lot. Um, the, the, the same spirit that inspired this uh, lives in you if you're a Christian. So um, take advantage of that. Um, cool. What's the letter all about? Um, turn to chapter 3 one, one last time. Uh, Paul wrote uh, many letters to uh, these early churches. We have 13 of them in our Bibles here. Um, it's important to remember that he didn't have the same purpose in writing each one of them, though, um, right? So to understand each of his letters fully, you really have to know the context. You have to know the reason that he's writing each of the letters. And the, really the center of this letter uh, to Timothy here and to, to the church in Ephesus is in chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. You'll, you'll be familiar with that, uh, verses 14 and 15. I won't get to that yet. But I think that the central verse in the whole letter is verse 16, Um, It'll be on the screen where Paul writes, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. The NIV says, puts it, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. And then Paul, he quotes a poem or hymn 
this, this poetic creed of some kind. He says, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That's, that's the center of the letter. Um, if, if you just quickly like, look at the rest of the letter, um, you'll see like English translations of the Bible do a pretty good job of kind of setting apart the poetry and the, the hymns from the m- normal prose in the letter. Um, so you'll, you'll see that the only time that Paul breaks into song is right here in verse 16 of chapter 3. This is a poem. This is a, this is a piece of art, right? The, the, the only time that he uses poetry in this letter is when he describes the mystery from which true godliness springs, right? This, this creed that we confess, this is the, the center of our faith. And with this short poem, he paints a picture of Jesus. And it's beautiful. It's this poetic exposition of the gospel, right? He explains the gospel in art. And he, he, he doesn't just give it to us in kind of factual black and white statements, although sometimes he does, and that's, we need that, it's helpful, but, but here he decides to give it to us in song, in poetry. Why? Because this is the most beautiful part of the letter. This is, this is the, the, the most treasured part. This, it's, it's to this beauty that he's calling the church to be stirred and respond to. In three short couplets, he gives us the gospel. I know Alan looked at this already a few weeks ago, but let's quickly review it again because this is what the letter is about. It's a, the, the whole letter is about Jesus and responding to Jesus. He says he was manifested in the flesh, right? This is, this is God who's put on flesh. This is, this is God with us. He's come to, to be uh, one of us in order to save us. Right, this is in his incarnation, the, the God of glory, right? The, the Son of God became a son of man, a son of Adam. He came under the curse of sin, right? That is, he, he experienced the, the same curse that you and I are experiencing. He, he was tempted in every way, right? He had to battle the, the, the fight against Satan and sin and death that, that you and I do, and Satan threw everything at him. Right? Jesus was under the, the curse of sin, and yet he fought that battle victoriously. Right? He, he, bought it, he, he fought it perfectly. He did it without sinning. He, he, he did it without giving in into the temptation. And so the second line of the verse uh, of, of the poem says, Vin, he was vindicated by the Spirit. And Romans chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, right? So um, in the New Testament, you'll know that, that uh, God the Father declares Jesus to be his son a, a few times um, at his baptism. This is my son with whom I will please. At the Mount Transfiguration, this is my son. Listen to him. But it was actually in his resurrection from the dead that he was declared to be the son of God in power, right? It's, it's a different kind of declaration, it's, a, it's this vindication of who he is. This is the, the sinless one who died and defeated sin, defeated death, rose from the dead, was, was, offers forgiveness of sin, and he now sits on the throne victoriously in heaven. Ephesians 1.20 says he was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He was displayed in victory before the heavenly beings, seen by the angels. And he was proclaimed among the nations and believed on in the world. So this is the message of Christ that we carry on today, 
right? This is the, the gospel that, that continues to be proclaimed among the nations. And this, this preaching has been effective, Paul says. Many have believed in it, believed on it in the world. And hopefully many more will as we continue to uh, share it. Many more will hear and believe before Jesus comes again because he's taken up in glory, says the last line. So, so not only is that, is that speaking about his, his first ascension, he's, he's ascended to the throne of glory, but he's actually coming again and he's going to take those who believe as well. This is the future glory for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. It's a beautiful hymn, all right? This is the, the, the center of Paul's letter it's the entire content of God's revealed plan of salvation in song. And Paul says, this is what we confess, and it is great indeed. This is the, the beautiful, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the rest of the letter is for that, it, it, the, the purpose of the, less, the rest of the letter is for that beautiful truth to stir in us and for us to respond to it in the way that we live our lives. And so, the verse before that, Paul says he's writing that you might know how one ought to behave as recipients of that gospel in the household of God, right? So Paul's purpose in this letter to Timothy, um, his purpose isn't to explain how we are brought into the household. He's not, he's not uh, his purpose isn't to explain how salvation works, okay? He does that in other letters. Um, Ephesians 2, love it, he explains beautifully how the gospel works. He goes into the blood of Christ and reconciliation through the cross and access to the Father through Jesus and how we've been brought into the, the household of God. It's an incredible passage. But, but explaining all of that, that's not Paul's primary purpose in, in writing to Timothy here. His purpose is instead to move past the adoption into God's family and, and to focus on how we are to live as members of that family. Right? You're his household now. You are members of his family. You're, you're the, the church of the living God. It's this assembly. Is that what that word means? The, the gathering of God's people. That's his focus. He says when you're gathered, there's order to it. There's beauty to it. There's purpose to it. He says you're, you're a pillar and a buttress of the truth. He talks a lot about truth in this letter, have you noticed? He's concerned that, that the truth be known and taught, and applied, and upheld. He has this concern for those who are deviating from the truth, and you've seen that all through the letter. Back in chapter 1, verse 6, there's certain persons who are swerving from the truth and wandered away. Chapter 1, verse 19, some have shipwrecked the faith and been handed over to Satan. Chapter 4, verse 19, some who will depart from the faith. Chapter 5, 11 to 12, those who will be drawn away from Christ and abandon the faith. Chapter 6, verse 10, some have wandered away from the faith. Chapter 6, verse 21, some have swerved from the faith. Right? All through the letter, he's saying that there's this truth that we must cling to and proclaim and not wander from. And it's, it's actually this, this gospel that, that, that brings us into the family. So, so don't leave it behind, that truth. Don't be drawn away from it. Don't wander away from the faith. And nearly every time he, he speaks of that happening in this letter, it's tied to false teachers. And that's his, his other primary concern, is dealing with false teachers in the church. It, it's how he opens up his letter. Like normally Paul includes 
okay, here's, here's who I am, and then a, a, a bit of thanksgiving for the church. He doesn't do that in this one. Verse 3, he just jumps straight into warning against false teachers. That's, his, his, that's how he starts, and that's how he ends here. That's how he closes his letter. Do, do you get that sense of struggle through the letter? Right? Struggling for the truth, fighting for the faith. When you, when you kind of look at it in an overview in that way, you see Paul's telling Timothy that the church is at war. In fact, he, he, the opening and the closing chapters, he has a call to battle for Timothy. In chapter 1, verse 18, Paul tells Timothy to wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. And here at the end in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. There's, there's a battle, there's a struggle to the Christian life. Just look at the, the verbs that he uses through this last section. Flee, pursue, fight, take hold, keep, guard, avoid, or turn away. Right? Those are battle actions. Paul, Paul is reminding Timothy, you are at war. Right? In one sense, the war is over, right? Christ, Christ has won the war, he's victorious, he's defeated sin and death. We love that bit, we preach that a lot, we should, but you have that tricky now and not yet reality of the kingdom, right? Until Christ comes again to throw Satan and his minions away once and for all, the battle continues. And so if if you profess to follow Jesus Christ, then you are involved in spiritual war. The Bible's clear on this. This, this is, we are in wartime. This is not peacetime. And you see it all through the New Testament. Hebrews 12, 4 says we are at war against sin. 1 Peter 2 talks about war taking place within our souls. Jude 2 speaks of the struggle of our faith. 2 Timothy 2, 3 refers to Timothy as a soldier of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 6 and 10 mentions the weapons that, that, that believers possess. Ephesians 6, you know that one. This armor that we put on, and he reminds us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and and the powers of darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens, right? If you're a Christian, you are at war. Our faith comes under attack in many ways, doesn't it? Um, Maybe you are battling for your marriage. Maybe you're battling as a parent. You're battling for, for purity in your life battle against pornography or, or uh, hooking up on dating apps. We saw last week there's, there's a battle against the materialism in our consumer-driven culture. It's a huge one. Maybe the battleground is in your mind. You're battling unbelief and, and, and doubting God. Maybe it's worry, despair, anxiety. We battle in many ways. Here's, here's one thing that's, that's for sure, is the Christian life, it's not an, an exercise of simply coasting along and waiting for Christ to come again. If you coast along, you will not make it. You must fight. James 4 doesn't say, ignore the devil and he will flee from you. He says, resist the devil and he will flee you. Like if you're, if you're, if you're going to try to avoid the war, and pretend that, there's, that, that struggle is not to be had, you will not stand. One uh, pastor said, spiritual retreat only leads to spiritual defeat. We must fight the good fight of faith. 
Think about your life. Where's the battle raging for you? Probably on many fronts, but for all of us, there's definitely at least one thing that comes to mind, one specific area that we are fighting. And whatever it is, let God's word comfort you this morning and encourage you in your battle. Paul's writing to to encourage Timothy to press on, to continue fighting. Peacetime's coming, okay? It's not here yet. So he says we must fight, and he begins with that exhortation in verse 11. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, right? So he's, he's contrasting Timothy with the false teachers, obviously, who, who were not men of God, um, who he actually handed a couple over to Satan. Um, Paul says, Timothy, uh, remember who you are. You, you are a man of God. Uh, in, in, chapter, in verse 20, he'll call him by his name, O Timothy, but not here. Here he wants to remind him of his identity. You are a man of God. Flee these things. So that, that's, he, he begins to describe the fight by saying there, there are instances where we flee um, and you might be thinking, that sounds more like running away from a fight than fighting. Uh, but listen, sometimes running away is the best way to avoid defeat. Um, some of you know I did, I practiced karate when my like teens and, and 20s. Uh, I might not look like it, but I'm pretty confident in a scuffle. <laughs> Try me. Um, but I'll tell you this, um, I don't think he's here this morning, but if Pete Brown came at me, my best tactic is to run around, run away as fast as I can. Every time, no doubt. Sometimes the best strategy is fleeing. Um, and so Paul says there are things we must run away from in our fight. He was talking about some of them in the previous passage, materialism, quarreling, slander, arrogance, greed. Um, Consider three ways that we should run from evil. Firstly, run from sinful actions, right? There, there, are, there are situations which tempt us to sin that we should quite literally avoid and run from. Um, we tend to linger around those situations, don't we? Uh, but when you linger around sin, you fall every time. At least I do. Uh, so beware of those places, those situations where sin can subtly creep in. And that's how sin always enters in. Uh, just a glance, just a thought, just a kiss, just a purchase. Uh, don't flirt with danger. Run from it. Uh, but also remember that sin is more than just the external actions that we make, right? There's a battle inside of us. There's, there's something going on inside. And so secondly, run from sinful desires. That's what Paul was just talking about in verses 9 and 10. Remember, these sinful desires for riches, a desire for earthly gain, a love for money, a cravings that pull you away from God, these things I don't have that I want. He says, run from these desires. And, but where do those desires come from? These cravings, they, they begin in your mind. And so we, there's an even deeper step to take. Run from sinful thoughts. Notice that Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. It's not merely an external battle. This is a battle for what you believe. This, this is a fight in order to believe in God. This is a fight in order to believe that He is who He says He is. So last week, that materialism, for an example, 
that the solution to covetousness is to believe that Jesus is better than anything this world can offer. That, that, that's, there's this fight that, that Jesus is the only one that will satisfy the, the, the deepest longings of your heart. How do you fight to believe? God gives us everything that we need to fight. And we won't go into the whole armor of God in, in Ephesians 6 right now, but one of the main weapons he gives us is his word. Right? We, 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 we fight unbelief with scripture. And that's why in our year of prayer, we've been sending out those pray the promise guides. Um, just realizing, I was like, you need to send another one. I need to. Another one coming for you today. Um, the purpose of those is to, to remind you of what God has said. Remind you of the promises that he's made. Fill your mind up with those things, these truths from God. All right, so if you're struggling to believe that, that God is with you, then you should fight that unbelief with Hebrews 15.5. This says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's, he's promised that. You can bank on it. If you're struggling to believe that, that God is taking care of you, you should meditate on Philippians 4.19 that says he will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Be, be confident in his promises. Pray his promises back to God. Fill your mind up with his word. The, the fight of faith is a fight to believe that, that God is who he, said he says he is, that, that he will come through with his promises every single time. Maybe not at the time frame that, that you're working with, but he will fulfill his promises. Therefore, we, we run from sinful thoughts, which produces sinful desires, which lead to sinful actions. Do you see how that works? Um, Paul says the, the fight, uh, it's not just running away from things, it's also running to something. And so he says in verse 11, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. These are the things that we pursue. Righteousness involves your thinking and your actions, right? The Beatitudes, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Crave it, desire it, pursue righteousness in your life. He says pursue godliness. That's one of Paul's favorite, favorite terms in this letter, if you noticed. He's always speaking about this pursuit of godliness in your life. Right? Be like your heavenly Father. Pursue faith. Again, this is about belief. It's about a deeper trust in God. Are you seeking a deeper trust in God, especially in those deep valleys in your life? Right? It's easy to, to kind of believe and trust when things are going great. What about the deep valleys? Paul says, pursue faith. Malcolm Muggeridge, it's a good name. He's an English journalism that, um, journalist, um, agnostic turned Christian. He talked about how afflictions have played a part in this process of seeking to rely on God. He said, contrary to what might be expected, I looked back on, I looked back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I've learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that is truly enhanced and enlightened by experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. Right? He's, he's expressing the truth of Romans 5, 3 to 4, which says that we rejoice in our afflictions and our sufferings. That's such a weird Christian upside-down thing. We rejoice in our afflictions. Why? Because we know that suffering 
produces endurance. Endurance produces hope. Does something in us. Pursue deeper trust in God, even in your deep valleys, friends. He says, pursue love, a greater affection for God. That's something we should strive for. John 15, Jesus says, abide in my love. When's the last time you abided in his love? Like, when's the last time you, you sat and, and wondered about God's love for you? That's one of the ways that we fight. And when we abide in his love, you'll find yourself growing in love for those around you as well. After that, Paul says to pursue endurance, steadfastness, perseverance. And this is patience amidst difficult circumstances. Okay, again, Young church, afflictions are on the way. Okay? Hellish valleys are on the way for every single one of you. But you need not be afraid. You can actually pursue steadfastness and perseverance because no matter what comes your way, you have a shepherd that walks with you. Pursue endurance. And finally, pursue gentleness. This kindness toward difficult people. Again, what an upside-down kind of fight this is. We fight the fight of faith with gentleness, okay? Yes, we must have strength, but it's gentle strength. It's, it's not a strength that is hard. It's a Christ-like strength. It's a humble strength that overflows in kindness. Fight the good fight of faith. Flee these things and pursue these things, these things of the Spirit. And in verse 12, Paul says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which he made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And here's that, that pesky now and not yet reality of the Christian life. That there is a future life of glory and rest with Christ that is secure for those who are in Christ. In the age to come, as he puts it. But it's also something that's been inaugurated in the present by Jesus. It's something that we take hold of now. It's, it's both this present possession and a future hope. And Paul says, take hold of it now. We, we take hold of it by fleeing ungodliness and pursuing the things of the Spirit and fighting the good fight of the faith. Right? But listen, don't get the impression that you take hold of this eternal life and, and fight this fight under your own strength. Okay? It's not through your own efforts. Paul, says, Paul reminds Timothy, this is a life to which he, he was called. Okay? You don't earn eternal life. You, you are called into it. You're, you're invited. It's a, it's a gift of his grace. And yet, we do fight to take hold of it by faith. Right? In, in effect, Paul's inviting believers to experience the life that you've been given. Experience the life that you've been given, right? You see, Timothy, he already received eternal life when Christ called him, but that wasn't the end of his story, right? And that's true of every follower of Jesus. If you're a Christian, you are in Christ, and his life is in you, but you still struggle on a daily basis to experience the fullness of his supernatural life, don't you? So until that day in the future... When, when you are completely free from sin and the spiritual battle is, is over, we continue on this day-by-day -day battle to experience the life that Christ has bought for us. We take hold of it in the here and now. 
Um, if you're someone who thinks that the fight's too hard, <laughs> you, ever, you ever think that? It's too daunting. Uh, be encouraged and strengthened by what he says in the next verses. Firstly, he's called you. He's called your name. You are his child. You, you are not in a fight against God. You're not in a fight for God. You're, he is fighting for you, right? We, we fight out of our God-given identities. That's why he reminds Timothy, oh man of God, you've been called. And if you're a, a, a Christian this morning, you have been called. That should embolden you a little bit. You've been called by him. Second, that you've confessed your faith. This is what we do in baptism, and it's beautiful. So one of my favorite things that we do as a church, to, to listen to a new believer make that good confession publicly. My life is now in Jesus. I, I've died to sin. I've been raised to new life. Remember that. Let that confession encourage you. And in light of those truths, thirdly, live in light of God's presence. Paul charged Timothy, in the presence of God, he is with you, Christian. The, 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 the fight, uh, we, we fight this battle knowing that the creator of all things, the one who gives life to all things, Paul says, the, the victor over th all things, he's on our side. We fight alongside him. And as believers, we fight and live in view of Christ's faithfulness. So Paul says Christ gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate. Right? He's, he's bringing us back to that moment when the life of the Son of God was on the line, quite literally. Right? Christ in that moment had a choice to make. Either take the easy way out or endure faithfully, face the cross in order to save us. He had that choice to make and he was faithful and he made the good confession. He confessed his kingship and it cost him his life. He's the Savior who died for you, and He stands beside you in battle. It should encourage you. That should strengthen you. Fifthly, He's the King who's coming for you. Verse 14 says, We walk in obedience until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. David Platt says, We, we fight with our eyes on the sky. We're looking and longing for the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pursue godliness because we know Christ is returning. He's coming back for the faithful, right? You're, the finish line is right there. Don't stop fighting. Don't give up yet. He's coming again. And finally, when, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like you can't fight anymore, friends, live in the awe of God's greatness. And that's what he does in verses 15 to 16. Paul erupts into one of the most uh, majestic and glorious hymns of praise to God in all of Scripture. Right? So, so if you're weary, consider what Paul tells us about God here. It says his rule is universal. God is sovereign over all things. His, his reign is invincible. He is king of kings. No one can match him. He is immortal. He's, he's beyond time. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning. He has no ending. 
He's unapproachable. God lives in the atmosphere of blinding holiness. Darkness cannot touch him. He is inconceivable. No one can fathom his greatness. He's utterly transcendent. He possesses all power. Eternal omnipotent might is his. And he deserves all praise. To God belongs all honor and glory. This is the one who is on your side. Right? This is the one who loves you and is for you and has fought for you. What do you have to fear? Like if you're, if you're weary from fighting, fix your eyes on him. If your eyes are focused on the things of this world, you will not stand. The only way to fight the good fight of faith is to keep your mind and your eyes fixed on God. And so, in verses 17 to 19, Paul touches on this, and he, he briefly returns back to his issue of materialism, right? He has this exhortation to those who are rich in the present age. We looked at last week that he has this, this word for those who, who are poor, don't, don't, don't desire riches, Jesus is better, be content, and he tells them, to, and he has that same kind of message for those who have more, right? He, he presses in on this, this keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, he tells them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of earthly riches, but on God, right? Set your hopes on the one who is certain and unwavering, the, the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. His call, his, his call for both the rich and the poor is contentment, right? For the poor, be content. Don't desire earthly riches. Jesus is better. He's the one who satisfies the longings of your soul, and for, and for the rich, contentment looks like loosening your grip on your earthly riches and using them to do good, right? He, he tells them to flee a couple things in verse 17. Flee self-confidence, flee self-centeredness. He says, don't be haughty, don't be proud. D- don't set your hopes on earthly riches. He said, possessions tend to produce pride. We, we, li- we like to think that our security is not based on our stuff, right? Uh, but as soon as we think about giving our stuff away, and those insecurities start to rise, go read Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler. He says, don't be self-centered. R- riches can, can not only lead you to be haughty, they can also lead you to, to hoping in yourself, right? Look at all I've accomplished, Look at all that I've acquired. It's, it's easy to get a, a, a certain sense of self-worth from your accomplishments. Friends, don't be deceived. That kind of thinking will kill you. Flee self-confidence. Flee self-centeredness. Especially if you have plenty. And, and place your focus on God, that's what he says. Right? We need more of the giver, not more of the gifts. Set your hope on the one who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So, I said that last week. Um, it's okay to enjoy his good gifts. Right? Things in and of themselves, not bad. But they were created to be enjoyed as God's good gifts. Right? But in turn, we should use God's gifts for doing good. Right? He commands us to be rich in good works to be generous, to be willing to share. There's that upside-down way to enjoy the good gifts of God. 
It's not by saying mine. It's by using them to do good in the world. Listen, God has he's trusted some of you to have more for the primary purpose of using you as an agent of blessing and good in this world. Are you doing that? It's a great responsibility. You can either squander that responsibility and squander those resources he's given you for selfish reasons. Remember the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 who his land produced plentifully? What did he do? He decided to build bigger barns to store up his riches and God said, you fool. And it cost him his soul. Jesus said, you, you are like this fool if you lay up treasures for yourself. You're not really rich unless you're rich towards God. Here Paul is saying the same thing as Jesus. If you want to be rich, be rich in good works. Be rich in generosity. Be rich in sharing. Be rich in using the, the gifts God has given you to, to help those who are in need. This is what it looks like to enjoy those gifts and to store up treasures that last. That's what it looks like to take hold of that which is truly life. Invest in eternity, friends. One way we hold, lay hold of eternal life is by the way that we use our money. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, not on the things of this world. And then in verse 20, we're nearly done. He gives one final exhortation to Timothy. He says, oh, Timothy, he, remember he begins the letter by saying he's like, his, he's like a true child to him. He, he sees Timothy as a son. And you get that fatherly pleading, this fatherly love at the end here. He says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith Right, so Paul, he ends his letter with the same concern that he started with. Guard the truth. Hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Fight to be faithful to the gospel. You've seen how it plays out in, in the letter. If the truth is distorted, it will cause people to swerve from the faith. To deviate, to wander. The word means to miss the mark. And again, Paul's, Paul's warning, he's been grieving this throughout his letter. Some have wandered from the truth. Some have been delivered over to Satan. Others have been pierced with many pangs for departing from the faith. That's happening in this church. We, we should not be so arrogant to think that this could never happen to us, right? This is exactly what Satan wants for us. He's, he's tempting us to let go of the gospel, Loosen your grip on the truth. No one is immune from his attacks, friends. So we must fight. We, we must guard the truth. Paul's saying there are serious eternal implications on the line here. So you must guard the truth. You must fight to be faithful to the gospel in the church. One last time. You are the household of God. You are the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Right? So remember that fighting for the faith, it plays out in certain ways. 
in that identity, right? We, we, we fight for proper order, for proper conduct within the household. We guard the truth so that no one will, will swerve from the faith in here. We don't want any of you to swerve from the faith. But we also fight for the, the, the gospel to be proclaimed out there. We, we, we have a, a city full of, of friends and, and neighbors and coworkers who are currently separated from God. We must be a pillar and a buttress of the truth, right? We, we must share the truth of the gospel with them. We must fight fear and timidity and distraction in order to make the good news known so that people will be saved. It's a high calling, isn't it? It's a precious calling, and it's one that involves fighting the good fight of faith. And so, just as we close here, um, if any of this talk of fighting, anybody feel tired? <laughs> I feel exhausted. If you're feeling weak, there's good news found in Paul's final verse. It's a short benediction. He ends by saying, grace be with you. Grace be with you. Brother and sister, we, we can only fight as we're filled with God's grace. Paul knew that Timothy could not do this on his own, right? And it's the same for you and I. We cannot do this on our own. Actually, in, in Colossians 1.29, Paul says the same was true for him as an apostle. In that verse, he says, For this I toil, struggling, that word fighting, with all of his strength that he powerfully works within me. Paul, he fights, he struggles with the power that he powerfully works within him, right? For Paul, as he, as he toiled, as he struggled, as he fought, it's, it's God that's the one who provided strength. The only way that will endure to the end is by his grace, right? Grace be with you all. That's not just a way of Paul signing off, saying, see you later. Grace be with you. Weary Christian, you are never alone. That word you at the end, it's not just a letter to Timothy. That, that word you is plural. Right? Paul doesn't, he's not only, he not only has Timothy in mind, he's speaking to the entire church. And it's comforting actually to know that, that as we read 1 Timothy and, and any other book in Scripture, that, that God has us in mind. If this is a letter to us, he's, he, he is with us. We, we never fight alone. Jesus' last words in Matthew's gospel, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Grace be with you, war-torn Christian. When you fail, grace be with you. When you forget that Jesus is better, Grace be with you. When you forget the gospel and you wander away, grace be with you. Come back to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him again. Receive his power. And don't take his grace for granted. It isn't cheap grace. We're not saved so that we can continue on just taking advantage of this grace. It's a costly grace. It cost Christ his blood. 
We'll celebrate that in a minute. It cost him his life, his dignity, his peace. Right? As he, as he hanged on the cross, bleeding and dying, he was fighting. And he was fighting for you. He was fighting for your victory. Isn't that so good? And so if you've placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, be encouraged in this spiritual battle. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. But fight we must. And with his grace, we'll persevere. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. And just take a minute and uh, close your eyes, reflect. Where's the battle raging for you? We are at war. This is a spiritual battle against an enemy that is powerful, an enemy, an enemy that, that hates you. He wants to, to pull you away from the, the truth. He wants you to, to wander away. And so a battle is raging. Fill yourself up with these truths again, though. You are called by God. You have, you have uh, if you're a, a believer, you've, you've made a confession of what he's done for you, how he's fought for you. He is present with you right now. He's present with us. He, he, has, he has been faithful before you. It's his faithfulness that we, that we cling to that, that he imparts to us. He is the victory, the victor. He has all power. His reign is forever. He is inapproachable in his, his glory and his holiness. And he's on our side. We must keep our eyes fixed on him. We must pursue the things of God. And thank you, Jesus, that you've done this for us. And Lord, forgive us when we get comfortable uh, when we stop fighting, uh, what a dangerous place to be in, Lord. May we continue uh, to battle. May we continue to fight, continue to, to flee the things of this world and to pursue the things of, of your spirit. And we thank you for your grace, Jesus. The only way ahead is by your grace. And would you build your people up this morning? Those who are weary of fighting, those who are worn out, those who don't see a way forward, grace be for them, Lord. I praise your name, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.